0: Today on Ag News Daily. We wanted it to be fun for us, but we also want it to be fun for the listener. And there are so many agriculture podcasts out there that are really, really good and really good and you know, informational.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to a Thursday episode of the Ag News Daily podcast. It's Ashton Carr, joined live from the airport by Delaney Howell.
2: Thank you. That's a quite the introduction, Ashton. I am in the airport, so I apologize if you hear any background noise today, flying out to Denver for a little quick trip, going to a friend's wedding, and also going to take engagement photos while we're out there. So, really a nice little trip overall. And I think uh, temperatures are supposed to be pretty cool, actually. So, it'll be a little bit of an adjustment to come back to some hotter temperatures next week, Ashton.
1: I know. I'm so so ready for fall it's one of my favorite seasons actually it is my favorite season and so i'm ready for things to cool down although it really doesn't get cool here in texas until probably that's true the end of october
2: <laughs> the big question ashton is do you like pumpkin spiced or pumpkin flavored things
1: Oh, I absolutely do. I'm not a big fan of like the pumpkin spice latte. I know that that's like really the thing when it comes to pumpkin. Not a big fan of the pumpkin spice latte, but I do absolutely love pumpkin stuff, apple stuff, cinnamon, anything fall, I am all over it.
2: Me too. My thought is, um, is it too early to get that stuff out? My my thought is no, because we're about to start harvest. And I know you've lined up a cotton producer to chat with tomorrow, so that'll be great to have on the podcast session as you talk through cotton harvest. But let's dive into some news here. And I think this is an interesting story. As we know, tomorrow is the WASD report, which you and Dawson will get to report on. But ahead of that report, we saw a little bit of a flub up by the FSA. Typically, they release their acreage data alongside of that WASD report, but they accidentally released it. Too early yesterday, Ashton. And so they issued a public statement saying, yesterday, saying, quote, earlier this morning, the latest set of crop acreage reporting data was inadvertently posted early on the FSA website and taken down shortly thereafter. This data has been scheduled to release Friday, September 10th at 1 p.m. to ensure equitable access to this information. FSA has reposted the data on the website. And basically, this data that we're talking about here is According to the FSA and, of course, grower numbers, what do they anticipate as far as acreage goes? And that does differ a little bit substantially here from what USDA has posted.
1: Yeah, Delaney, I saw that you had put that out on Twitter yesterday. I thought it was pretty interesting. I couldn't, you know, hardly believe that they made that mess up. But you're right. Dawson and I are going to be reporting on WASDI tomorrow. So we'll see how <laughs> that's going to go. Yeah. I'm not too sure.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, it, you guys will be fine and I'll help you. But um, I just wanted to pick this back up here. Because the numbers that FSA released as of yesterday puts us at a 91.12 for final planted acres when it comes to corn and an 86.16 when it comes to final acres planted for soybeans. So that is a pretty significant drop on both fronts from what the USDA has recently put out in some of their reports. So tomorrow could be, probably won't be a Shell shocker of a report, but we have been watching to see, hey, is this going to be the report where they adjust acres? And it certainly seems like it is playing that way, Ashton.
1: Well, Delaney, we'll just have to wait and see there. And another thing, of course, that we have been waiting to see how things play out is the WOTUS. U.S. ag groups have now asked EPA to extend the public comment period ahead of rewriting WOTUS. Richard Gupton with the Agricultural Retailers Association told Brownfield Ag News that there needs to be a robust time period for input if EPA wants to make significant changes. I believe it was 30 days that they that people had to... Um, Make make comments about Lotus, maybe things that they wanted to see. But Gupton says that it was woefully inadequate to get feedback related to such a major issue and the major impact it could have and the rationale that EPA makes that waters are being theoretically damaged under the Trump administration's rule. And it's really flawed, according to him. Requests came in from members of Congress, Michigan Farm Bureau, New Mexico Farm and Livestock Bureau, you know, a, a handful of other ag groups. And Gupton says that more time provides the EPA the ability to get input from the states, which again are partners in regulating waters within the U.S., whether that's under federal jurisdiction or state jurisdiction. And if they do decide to move forward in making additional changes, that they are minor adjustments and nothing major. Major. So even though it uh, had been ended the comment period, we're still seeing things come up with Lotus. So going to definitely keep watching okay. out on this one because like Gupton says, this is a major issue.
2: Yeah, and I really hope that they stick their guns there and only if they do make adjustments, make them minor adjustments because we know we saw big changes under the Trump administration. We hope that those certainly don't get rolled back. But Ashton, speaking of making adjustments, CONAB, Brazilian's private estimates firm, has put out some fresh estimates when it comes to soybean production. Of course, Brazil is wrapping up their second harvest season here with uh, corn and soybeans and getting ready to plant Corn and soybeans for their next rotation here come probably next week. And so as Brazil is being, as Brazil's harvest is currently being finalized right now, Brazil's CONAB estimates firm updated production estimates for corn and soybeans on Thursday, raising their yearly soybean production about 8.9% compared to a year ago, to now sitting at a 135.9 million tons. And this does remain a slight downgrade from the CONAB estimate released last month, but it does really play and paint a picture here, I think, for the focus on soybeans in this region over the next year, especially as we head into harvest here in the United States and have to consider that any sort of a production pickup could mean fireworks for the market.
1: Well, I have some news from Brazil that I let slip through the cracks yesterday as truckers took to the streets to block these roads and brazilian president jair bolsonaro has agreed to meet today with these truckers that are leading blockades of these highways across the country raising hopes that he could end protests that threaten key export routes like i said these truckers took to blockades yesterday as uh, the brazilian president was slow to push back against a crucial segment of supporters you know we talked briefly, Delaney, that uh there's some political issues kind of going on there, so there's kind of a lot up in the yep. air but uh you know as of right now, these blockades have no you know major effect on exports or anything um I don't know if they have already talked yet or not, but hopefully we'll have a little bit more of a clearer picture tomorrow.
2: Yeah, and I think really the overall picture here, Ashton, is just that there is a lot of political unrest. Bolsonaro maybe has mixed support right now, and that's kind of contributing to this overall sentiment down there in Brazil. But switching tracks here a little bit here, still talking on the international scene, but a British science, scientist has, and a British business has moved one step closer to finding a genetically edited super pig that is resistant to the deadly virus CURS, or porcine reproductive virus. And so the uh, group here is the stoke based animal genetics company um, has been working very hard to find a gene-edited pig, and they're pushing to have this approval in the U.S. by the FDA in 2023. So they're still doing some research here on some initial trial runs, University of Missouri is also setting in here in the United States and trying to help do some research there as well. But, you know, PERS is one of the most economic, costly diseases to the swine industry. So it'd be a big move here if they did find a new gene that was able to help prevent that. Ashton?
1: That would be, you know, just absolutely groundbreaking if they're able to actually do this. Delaney, I hadn't heard of this story. So I'm glad that you brought this to light because I'm going to be definitely doing my research because, you know, I love a good livestock genetics story.
2: As do I, Ashton, and especially since we talk about it so frequently on the PigX podcast. So, I actually sent this story over to them as well. So, if you haven't listened to the Pig X podcast, first is definitely a topic we've covered quite a bit. Uh, be sure to check that out on the Global Ag Network website.
1: I like that plug there, Delaney. Definitely appreciate that because I am a big fan of the Pig X podcast myself. But I just have one other bit of news to share today, bringing things back here to the US. You know, we just talked yesterday, I believe it was about how we've seen so much going on in the beef industry, especially when it comes to bills and those kinds of things. And I have another one to add to our imaginary Excel sheet here, as Senator Tester and Boone have introduced a bill to reestablish mandatory country of origin labeling for beef. They say that they have reinserted, quote, beef and, quote, ground beef in the current so-called MCOOL law that requires country of origin labels for meat from chickens, sheep, goats, and deer. Their bill would delay implementation for mandatory COOL for beef for up to 12 months after enactment to allow the U.S. Trade Representative and the U.S. Ag Secretary time to develop a way to do that in line with World Trade Organization rules. If not implemented after that one year, the bill would take effect. And we've talked about, you know, country of origin labeling for beef, and there's been quite a lot of debate going on there. So just another one, like I said, to kind of add to our Excel sheet that we discussed.
2: Ashton, I think that does it for my news today as well. Other than just cutting into talking markets today, we did see corn retreat again today. We're sitting on some uh, key support levels here in the December corn contract. And we also did see on Thursday another private export sale here of 132,000 metric tons of soybeans headed for China. But that did nothing today to perk the markets up. We saw weakness today as the December corn contract closed just a quarter cent lower to close at 510 on the nose. November soybean down nine cents today to close at 1270 and a half. Chicago December wheat today down 17 and a quarter cents to close at 692 and a quarter. And hopping over into livestock for today, we saw some mixed trade as the October live cattle contract closed 65 cents higher to end at 123.75. The D's up 15 to close at 128.80. Feeder cattle were lower today as the October contract shed two and a half cents, pulled at $1.5925. The November down 20 cents to close at $1.6122 and a half. And in lean hogs today, the weakness continued as the October contract closed $1.90 lower to end at 85.475. a The D's down $1.07.5 and a half, half to at 79.475. Well, lastly, wrapping things up here in the Class 3 Dairy milk Futures, they showed weakness today as well, with the October contract shedding $0. six cents to close at seventeen fifty-four. The November cut $0. thirteen cents to close at seventeen forty-eight. Now, Ashton, without further ado, why don't you fill us in on who we're talking to you for today?
1: Well, we are introducing Sabrina Halverson of Ag on Tap, a new podcast hitting the Global Ag Network. Well, for today's interview, we are talking to Sabrina Halverson of Ag on Tap. Sabrina, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. Yes, I'm excited to be here. So I don't know if our audience is super familiar with Ag on Tap, but it is a new podcast that we have on the Global Ag Network. So I'm very excited that you guys are part of the family now and we're excited to get to know you, Sabrina. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
0: Well, I'm Serena Halverson. I have been in ag radio since um, 2012 is when I started with agriculture specifically. But before that, I was a broadcaster and a TV host. And I've also written for print for many years. So um, I've been around the neighborhood a little bit in ag media. And um, I also do I write for a couple of different ag magazines now and produce ag on tap with my husband, Rusty.
1: So tell us a little bit about Rusty because you guys met back at Commodity Classic. So it seems that you two have pretty similar interests. We do.
0: So I love our love story, and I know everybody loves their love story. Um, but we did. We met in 2015 at Commodity Classic. I was the farm news director for an ag network in California, and he was the farm news director for an ag network based in North Dakota. And so of course uh, we met in Phoenix, Arizona, um, at Commodity Classic 2015, and kind of hit it off. We didn't talk a whole lot at that event, but you know, kind of made some eyes at each other, and then a few weeks later, later, we were both selected to be part of the first class of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting leadership class. And so we were among the first, I think there was nine of us who were selected out of all the farm broadcasters in the nation. And and it was this type of really intensive, you know, two-day event where we learned so much about leadership, but we also learned a lot about ourselves. And being in the class together really pulled us, all of us together. But again, Rusty and I, with, you know, again, making eyes at each other. We just kind of fell for each other. And it was so fun because our first year of dating, really, a lot of it was at conventions. And we would end up at, you know, again, at the next Commodity Classic. Or we were in Washington, D.C. Or we were in um, New Orleans, Louisiana. And you know, we had this great dating history because we were going all over the nation covering conferences together and getting to see so much of each other doing what we love to do, which is reporting on agriculture. Um, So, and that's how we came together. We just, you know, we had very similar careers and it's kind of, as you know, in our career, it can be hard to find somebody who really understands what you do um, because we, we do so much on farming, but then there's also a lot of you know, there's a lot of long days involved. There's a lot of travel involved. So just having somebody, I think for both of us who understood what we were doing and everything that goes into it was really, really helpful. And so, yeah. And so he, after two years of dating long distance, I moved to North Dakota and two years after that, we got married and started, uh, well, we just love working together so much. We decided to do something really fun together. And that's where Ag on Tap came because we both have separate side jobs that we do that are, you know, our real jobs, I guess. And, um, but we love working together so much. So we decided, you know, we want to get together and do an interview now and then together just to have something that we, you know, it's, it's, we're never going to have children because we're, you know, we're in our mid forties. So this is our child that we're having together, I guess.
1: You know, you make the point of, you know, being a broadcaster and an ag broadcaster at that, you know, not everybody understands. I mean, even my friends that are involved in agriculture, they don't quite understand what I do. And then my Mm -hmm. friends who aren't involved in agriculture at all, they really don't know what I do. So I definitely get what you mean there. But let's go ahead Mm -hmm. and just talk about ag on tap. What is it that you guys talk about? What's the structure? Let's talk about all those good things. Sure. So
0: the number one thing that we wanted to do, again, we wanted it to be fun for us, but we also want it to be fun for the listener. And there are so many agriculture podcasts out there that are really, really good and really good and informational farmer to farmer podcasts. And so we wanted to go a different route. I am um, very interested in helping consumers understand about agriculture because I think there's a big disconnect there. And I think it's kind of up to us, the communicators, to help bridge that gap. So that's what we wanted to do with Ag On Tap. And we're taking we search out these fun stories and take it from an angle where we want a farmer listening to be interested in what this other farmer is doing. But then we also want just your normal consumer who maybe has never seen farming before to get to understand it a little bit. So, you know, we've done um We've done. We've talked to um, bison ranchers. We've talked to an alpaca rancher. We have talked to um, pumpkin growers. Our latest episode was uh, apple growers who have a cider house and they create. You know, they make hard apple cider. And so these are ways that we're finding interesting agriculture stories that other farmers are interested in as well. But then they also speak to consumers.
1: That sounds very interesting. I haven't yet listened to your new episode because that just dropped earlier this month. I mean, we're two weeks in basically, but I haven't listened to it yet. I'm going to have to add that to my playlist. But how do you guys find these interesting stories? Because, you know, there's tons of agriculture out there. And I mean, there is tons of, um, you know, specialty growers like, you know, pumpkins and apples. So how do you really tune into those, you know, uh, interesting stories? So I'm going to take 100% of the credit for that um, because um,
0: I have so much more experience in specialty crops coming from California. You know, basically everything we do out in California is specialty crops. And there tends to be a lot of really fun stories in those types of crops. Um, But then also I have more of a consumer mind than Rusty does. And so I see a pumpkin patch and I, you know, I'm excited about the pumpkin patch and I want to know. How do they get all those pumpkins to grow and, you know, what does it take to have enough that people can come out and, and pick it? But then I also have been reporting on agriculture for so long. I'm thinking also, OK, well, what kind of insurance do they have to have to make this into, you know, to let people come onto their farm? And what kind of inputs do they have to use? Is their soil correct? So our stories come have come from this wide range of places. Um, the pumpkin patch was simply because I want, I wanted to do it. I happen to love pumpkins. We, Rusty and I have tried to grow them in our garden and I couldn't do it. So I thought, all right, well, I'm just going to talk to a pumpkin grower. So I found the biggest pumpkin grower in Illinois, which is the top pumpkin producing state in the nation, and just called him up and said, Hey, we'd love to have you on our show. So, and he was so funny. So that is definitely one that I suggest. Just go and listen to our pumpkin episode. He was hilarious. Um, but then there's other ways, for example, we'll, we'll have an upcoming episode um, about olives and that comes because in my other job, I was doing a story on olives for a magazine and I talked with this really engaging woman um, from an olive ranch in California and I thought well she would just be really fun to have on and she can tell us about what it's like to grow olives and what it takes to actually produce olive oil um, because, you know, that's another one of those crops. We use it all the time. We use olive oil a lot, um, you know, consumers do. But we don't necessarily know exactly what goes into it from the farmer perspective. And she had such an interesting story when I was interviewing her for the magazine. So now we've booked her to be on the show. And then there's another one that I'm just going to tell you about real quick that I'm extremely excited about because I love everything that has to do with Christmas. And so we've already done this interview. We were, we're going to put it up in December. But we're talking to a reindeer rancher. And how often do you get to talk to a reindeer rancher? We actually went out to the ranch and we got to see the reindeer and you know interact with the with the actual animals. And it was so fun. So we're gonna in December help people learn about what it takes to actually, you know, to raise reindeer. So a lot of it comes from me just I get crazy ideas, so I search them out and I say, all right, well, we're gonna do this. And then Rusty, bless his heart, goes along with it and says, All right, I'm at your side, let's do it.
1: I really love that, and I love that you took a hundred percent of the credit. You know, no, no being humble around here. I definitely appreciate that. Um, you know, Sabrina, I kind of have a, a consumer mindset as well, and this might be a little bit more um, kind of a, a personal question between you and I because sometimes yeah. I feel you know having more of a consumer brain, and I definitely don't have as much experience when it comes to ag broadcast, um, as you do, but are there ever moments that you feel like, um, you know, you're not asking the right questions Mm. or, you know, those kinds of things. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. Um, there has been a
0: lot of learning for me just in doing what I do every day. Um, even though I was raised in, in central California, uh, which has, you know, I was all had agriculture just all around me as I was growing up, but I did not grow up on a farm. Uh, so I am not a farm kid who went into broadcasting. I was actually, my dad um, owned a newspaper. So I was a media kid who got into agriculture media. And so I have had to learn a lot about agriculture. And what I have found is, and what I recommend, to I, I mentor, um, p- you know, people who are coming up in their careers. And what I love to tell them is, Don't be afraid to say, I don't know this, because our entire job as journalists, and I think a lot of journalists forget it, but our entire job as journalists is to take something that an expert knows and help that expert explain it to people who are not experts. So I don't have to be the expert. I don't have to know everything about farming. Thank goodness, because I don't. But I do have the, you know, the task of explaining what this expert is saying so that other people can understand it. Now, what is really nice with Rusty and I doing the podcast together is he is a farm kid. Um, he didn't grow up on a farm, but his you know, his entire family farms. And he grew up all around the farm and he knows those questions that you're talking about. And so when it comes to the technical aspects, a lot of times he will ask the more technical farm questions. And, and I'll just look at them and think, well, that's really smart. I would have never thought of that. I mean, he's a genius anyway. So it really helps that he he's right by my side when we do this, because we have this, you know, this two pronged approach where we've got the guy and he's been doing ag media his entire career. So he's got 30 years in it. And, um, you know, so he knows those questions. And so we've got his perspective where he can go in and he can ask the questions that will speak to the farmers who are listening. And I can hold my own, but then I also bring into it the, you know, the thought of, well, you know, there's going to be some mom with her five-year-old kid who wants to come on the land. What's, what's that going to be like? Or, you know, just from a different perspective. So I think a lot of it is keeping your perspective, saying it's okay that I don't know this. I will go into an interview if if it's a topic I really don't know, I will go in and I will tell my subject. I'll say, all right, I might need you to help me out a bit with this because I don't know it. Please explain it to me. And people are open to that. I think they respect us saying, I don't know this rather than pretending like we do.
1: Well, Sabrina, I wish that we could sit here and talk even more because I've really loved to get to know you. But if our audience wants to get to know you a little bit more and tune into Ag on Tap, where can they find you guys at? you can find us either through
0: the Global Ag Network or you can just head to agontap.com and we have the podcast there.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Sabrina. And congratulations to you and Rusty. Thanks so much for coming and being a part of the network. Really excited to see what you guys have planned for us. Thank you. Thanks again there, to Sabrina, for coming on and talking to us. It was a, a great conversation. I, uh, of course, love talking to people involved in the ag industry and some women at that. I think we have some pretty powerful women on the Global Ag Network, of course, yourself included, Delaney.
2: Oh, well, thank you, Ashton. But yes, I agree. Sabrina and her husband, Rusty, do a fantastic job. So folks, be sure to check that one out. It's also on the Global Ag Network website, AgOnCap. Ashton. People can also find all sorts of other podcasts while they're there. And uh, feel free to follow along with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag Daily. With us, should we let people go. Let's let them go.